0: sometimes after a children's sermon, I think, I don't know if we need to hear a sermon today. That was one of those. Thank you, Kevin. That was beautiful. Before we listen for today's scripture reading and preaching text, I'd like to give us some context around what's happening in this scene that we will hear from, just in case you don't remember everything that happens in the Old Testament book of First Kings. Today, We find ourselves within the story of Elijah the prophet. Elijah isn't quite like some of the other prophets that we hear from a lot, like Isaiah or Ezekiel or Amos. He doesn't have a whole book of the Bible dedicated to his call and prophecy. Elijah's story comes in 1st and 2nd Kings, those books of the Bible that span the end of King David's life all the way through to the destruction of the Jerusalem Temple and the beginning of the Babylonian exile. This was a period marked by political and religious turmoil. These books tell stories about leaders and communities who sometimes did what God would have them do and sometimes really missed the mark. That's a story we might recognize even today. So Elijah comes onto the scene during the reign of King Ahab, and Elijah's story is totally intertwined with the story of Ahab and his administration's failure to follow God faithfully. You might remember the time when Elijah predicted a drought, and the king's people got so mad that Elijah had to flee into the wilderness. And there he met a widow, who fed him and gave him shelter, and upon finding the widow's son ill to the point of death, Elijah revived him, and the boy was healed. You might also recall the wild scene of competition where Elijah proved God's triumph over Baal. You need to choose who you're really worshiping, Elijah said. And watch this. God, the true God, is going to show up with fire for this sacrifice. And that's exactly what God did. The story of Elijah in 1 Kings is one worth revisiting this week as your own devotional practice. These are simply the highlights, but the story is so rich. Our scripture lesson today comes after that impressive scene where God has shown up in fire, and Elijah has proven the other prophets wrong. Elijah has had to flee, fearing for his life. And we find him here on a journey to Mount Horeb at the mouth of a cave. Listen now for our second scripture reading, First Kings chapter nineteen. Verses 9 through 18. At that place, Elijah came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel over king as king over Aram. Also, you shall appoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahaloah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the horde of Haziel, Jehu shall kill, and whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You have heard me say before that when I was in college, I was a music major. I spent a lot of time taking classes in the music building, and back before COVID, my fiance and I took a trip to the campus of our college, and I set foot in that building, and I was like, this is home, it still feels like home to me. One of the classes that my degree program had to take for graduation was a music literature class that focused only on large sacred choral orchestral works. That means we studied long musical pieces where a choir and orchestra and soloists work together, often centered around a biblical story. The most famous example of this would be Handel's Messiah, where we get the famous Hallelujah Chorus. One of the pieces that we studied in that course was a piece by 19th century composer Felix Mendelssohn, called Elijah. And when I got to my office this morning, I realized that I had my score from college. It's an enormous work, you can tell. The runtime is between two and two and a half hours, and we listen to the whole thing as part of that class. It works through the entirety of Elijah's life, and Mendelssohn really spares no detail. Leaves nothing to the imagination. The week we worked through Elijah in class, I remember thinking, wow, I don't remember a whole lot about Elijah from Sunday school, but it seems like He was not a very super happy guy. Because sure, Elijah's life was full of dramatic moments, those exciting high points that I highlighted before we heard our reading today, but there were some really dark spots, some really hard struggles in his life, and Mendelssohn's musical rendering of this story does not ignore those times. There's an entire solo where Elijah is crying out to God in despair. That's all that's happening through this entire movement. The soloist sings, It is enough, O Lord, now take away my life. Let me die, for my days are but vanity. There are some really beautiful and really famous pieces in Mendelssohn's Elijah, but I left that unit of class feeling like I didn't necessarily need to revisit it anytime soon those moments of Elijah's struggle are so deep and so hard to listen to. I think though that as we enter today's text, the more difficult parts of Elijah's story are actually the parts that have something to say to us today. This is the Elijah who is completely and totally human. This is not a scene that shows Elijah the victorious hero proving God's triumph over false gods. This is not a scene that shows Elijah the miracle worker reviving the body of a young boy. This is not a scene that shows Elijah the brave and courageous faith leader confronting the powerful king with God's message for the people. This is Elijah the human being. Elijah, the disappointed prophet with all the feelings. Dejection, pride, sadness, maybe some doubt. Here, there isn't even a whiff of victory. Not even a taste of the miraculous. Just basic human disappointment. Turns out, even real-life prophets of the Lord experience the emotional breadth and depth what it means to be human. And God shows up, even then, with something to say about the life of faith, about how much we need one another, and how sometimes God shows up in ways that we never expected. In this part of Elijah's story, God has sent Elijah to Mount Horeb, as in the Mount Horeb where Moses received the Ten Commandments. This was a 40-day-long journey, and Elijah is tired, and we might imagine that he's expecting something to happen here, at the foot of this very famous mountain. This is where God shared the covenant with the people for the first time, and do you remember how that scene went? Thunder and lightning, loud sounds. The whole experience was too intense for the people to even encounter God directly. They had to have Moses do the talking. I wonder if Elijah is expecting something similar, something kind of like his own experiences and memories of divine power, when God showed up for him with fire and smoke billows and unmistakable force. Elijah has been on the run for some time now, after all, and it's about time for God to show up in a big way. Even better that Elijah has ended up at this mountain that carries with it such a rich history of God showing up for the people. Surely God is about to launch Isaiah, I, Elijah, the faithful prophet, out of this sad season of wandering in the wilderness into a new divine mission in the world. Of course, you heard the story. That isn't what happens. Almost the opposite thing happens. God doesn't show up with an exciting mission. God shows up with a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? The question is almost insulting. What do you mean, what am I doing here? I'm here because you sent me on a mission to prove how great you are to these idolatrous people, and then they ran me out of town. I'm here in this cave, at the foot of this mountain, a zillion miles away from my people because my people simply will not listen to me and I'm the only faithful one left. Elijah, shall we say, blows his top. And again, God responds in exactly the opposite way that we might imagine. God says, go stand over there. I'm about to show up. Just watch. So Elijah goes and stands over there, and all of a sudden, an enormous gust of wind, a raucous earthquake, a blazing fire. But God is not there. It's not until the sound of sheer silence, or as some translators say, the softly whispering voice, that God shows up. Imagine how Elijah is experiencing this. God is turning his expectations upside down, shaking up what we thought we knew about God's presence. And so God gives Elijah another chance. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And again, Elijah shows us just how human he is. He's not very impressed with the still small voice of God, he would like to remind God again just how faithful he has been and just how different that is from those Israelites and just how disappointing it is to be the last faithful person left in the whole wide world. Oh, Elijah, we have so been there. We have probably been there sometime during this pandemic or maybe sometime in the last week. Or if you have little ones at home, maybe in the past hour. We have been there with Elijah shaking our fists at the sky and feeling like we're the only ones feeling sad and trying desperately to do the one right thing and wanting God to show up how we expect God to show up. Wanting things to feel normal just for once. It's okay. This story reminds us that it's okay. Even famous biblical prophets had these moments. You have permission to shake your fist a little and yell into your pillow. Because listen to what happens next. God does not console Elijah. God does not say, oh, I'm so sorry, things have been so hard. Come here for a big bear hug. God simply informs Elijah that his next work of prophetic ministry is to bring his prophetic ministry to an end. Go on, head back to your people, anoint a new king in Aram, and then a new king in Israel, and then, here's the kicker, go ahead and anoint a new prophet in your place. In this simple instruction, God has fully removed the burden from Elijah's tired shoulders. God has lifted the yoke that Elijah carried for a very long time. And God encourages Elijah to rely on his community, to keep that hard work of faithful response going on into the next generation. One biblical scholar I read called this moment Elijah's decommissioning. It's the moment where God tells Elijah, it's time to pass over the baton. Time to leave the profiting to a new prophet. And in the final sentence of this passage comes perhaps the most astounding of God's utterances thus far. God will not abandon the community. In fact, there will be thousands of believers left when this generation passes on. It's this reminder that Elijah is not alone, has never been alone, and the communities that he has loved will never be alone even when he is long gone. I have to imagine that it took Elijah a little while to receive the blessing of what God has just instructed and promised. It takes me a little while to cool down after my fists shaking and pillow screaming. But when it's time, Elijah will get up from the mouth of that cave at the foot of that mountain, and he will realize that his journey back to Israel now is one of the holiest journeys he will take in his whole life. This is a journey of trusting God's promises and remembering that the community carries us far beyond our own capacity for faithfulness. We are on this same journey today with Elijah. We are learning that we are human, that we have the capacity to experience that full breadth of the human experience, and that God can handle whatever we have to say about it. We might have been used to God showing up in big and expected ways, But this pandemic has shown us that God shows up in unexpected and small and gentle ways, too. We expected to be in the presence of God in this building every week. The sounds of the Rejoice band and the organ and the choir, the smell and the taste of communion bread, the laughter of children and fellowship at coffee hour, These are the places we know God will be present. Just like Elijah knew that God would be present in wind and flame and cosmic shows of drama. But we're on this harder journey now with Elijah learning to listen instead for the softly whispering voice. Do you hear that voice in your own life? We're on this journey with Elijah toward an understanding that when that soft voice shows up, it might whisper to us a reminder that our community carries us through the life of faith. We are not alone. We were never meant to be alone. Even when it feels like we're the only ones feeling as low as we feel, we are not alone. Every time we baptize a child at this font, we promise that together we will uphold that child and encourage that child in the faith. And one of the ways we do this is by responding to the call that Elijah received in our reading today to rely on the gifts of the whole community when times are difficult. Here at First Prez, we are on this journey in a really specific way too learning to be church together in the midst of a global pandemic and in the middle of an important transition in the life of our pastoral leadership. Our pastor nominating committee is listening to that softly whispering voice of God as they discern who God might be calling as a leader for this next season of our life together. Our church staff and lay leaders are listening to that still small voice as we dream together about ministry and life in the midst of a crazy season of change. And we are all listening to the softly whispering voice of God as we remember and give thanks for who this congregation has been in this community and as we dream together about what the Spirit's calling us forth towards. Because the work of the church, the work of God's body in the world, is hard work. One of my favorite parts of our Presbyterian book of confessions is the section on the Holy Spirit from a brief statement of faith, and it says this, in a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing to witness among all peoples to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of peoples long silenced, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. This is an enormous call, and the Spirit is leading us there now as much as ever. We are called into that ministry of unmasking the idolatries of racism in our community and systemic oppression. We are called into the ministry of partnering with communities whose voices we have failed to attend to. We are called into the ministry of praying and witnessing, of letting our lives speak for themselves about our commitment to live a life of faithful discipleship. This is hard work, but Elijah's story reminds us that we are not meant to carry the mantle of faith on our own shoulders. We are meant to share the burden and the gift with one another. The life of faith is not a life we live by ourselves, even if we are dwelling in the hardest parts of what it means to be human, just like Elijah did so many times. We live faithfully when we live together in community with one another, passing on the baton when we need to and receiving it when we're the ones called to receive it. The work of the Church, of God's body in the world, is hard and holy work. And I pray that we continue to listen together to God's softly whispering voice in this season because God is already here among us. Amen.